morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I want to start this morning off congratulating two of our very own. Jared and Samantha had a baby girl named Quinn on December 26th. Woo, yeah. I was talking with them yesterday. They're good. They've got uh, all their bases are covered. They'll keep us posted how we can support and help them out right now. And, and uh, they, uh, they said that they cannot wait for us to meet Quinn. So congratulations, Scott. This is grandchild number, number three. Congratulations, Scott and Lori. And I love the idea of us having these babies in here. You know, with Jamie's kids and, and Robin and Kelly's and Damon's and everybody's kids and, and uh, Matthew and Ariel. I love the idea of us coming around these families and helping their kids grow. And, and we, can, we can walk through life with these kids. And I look forward to seeing these kids get baptized and married off. And I just, everything God created for them, that just excites me, this idea that long term we're going to have a role in their lives. And, uh, you know, there is this joy that happens when, when a newborn baby is born. You know, when that little baby puts their hand around your finger and you look at their little feet and their hands. Isn't it just like, how can you not believe in a creator when you look at this little, tiny, hopeless child? And you got to do everything for this kid. But eventually they begin to grow, right? Eventually they start to grow up. Because when they're born, they do three things really well. Three things. They eat, they poop, and they sleep. That's it. Eat, poop, sleep, repeat. Eat, poop, sleep, repeat. That's what babies do. They eat, they poop, and they sleep. And it's a long road for them to learn to, they start with maybe just a little grin. I was talking to, a, I had lunch with a, a guy who's a new grandpa on Friday, and he was like, oh, man, he's like cooing now. And I, I swear he smiles every time he hears my voice. And I know it's not my voice, but, but he smiles every time he hears my voice. And it's like you begin to have all this excitement because you see these babies begin to grow. And before long, they're up on their knees and then they start to walk. And before long, they're running. And it just excites me to see that. And in the same way that a child is supposed to grow, you know that we're supposed to grow in our faith, right? The Bible says that we're born as infants. And we're supposed to grow into mature adults. We're in week two of a series called Totally Committed. And we're going through six things that we said we need to be totally committed to if we want to be the church that God has called us to be and have the impact that we're going to have in Cape Coral, Lee County, Florida, the, the world. Week two, last week we talked about prayer. This week we're going to a different subject. We're going to personal spiritual growth. What are, the, what are the things that we need to have in our lives for us to grow and become mature adult Christians? So let me start by how this all begins, okay? At one point in time, you didn't have a relationship with God. And there's a five-step process. Some people will say there's more. Some people say there's less. But there's really five things that need to happen for you to begin your life with Christ. Number one, you need to hear the word. And the Bible says, how will they hear if no one is sent? We're the sent ones, guys. We're supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus. And then when you hear, you believe. You believe that Jesus is Lord, that he died in your place, and he paid the penalty, and he loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. After that, you repent. 
Repentance doesn't mean you just look at God and go, hey, man, I'm sorry, I screwed up, I'll do better next time. No, repentance is falling at the feet of God and accepting his grace and mercy. And then you confess, you confess that he's the Lord of your life, and you follow through with baptism. That is the process to become a Christian. And after that, we are supposed to grow. We have a growth process, which is called sanctification, by the way. Sanctification is a $5 word, which means we grow in our faith and look more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And we are supposed to do that as Christians. We're supposed to grow and become adult, mature Christians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 today. And in this section, Paul lays out some things that we could do as Christians and should do as Christians so that we can grow in our faith. Starting in verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing each other uh, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's four things that we are going to see here this morning that Paul is instructing the church in Colossae to do to, to grow in their faith. The first thing we see starts in verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The first thing that we need to be totally committed to is we need to be totally committed to studying the word. Totally committed to studying the word. The word of Christ, which is the message of Christ. The gospel. We're supposed to study the life of Christ. The doctrines that Christ taught, the beliefs that he had. Think about uh, just the life of Christ himself and the things that we can learn that he said, things that he did, all the wisdom that we can get from him. For instance, he says, blessed if you're humble and you're persecuted and you're meek and you're mild. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The American dream says, I'm supposed to promote myself. I heard once uh, uh, that a granny had told their granddaughter, uh, a a horn that remains untooted is an untooted horn. You're supposed to toot your own horn. No, Jesus says we're supposed to be humble and let other people promote us. And then he follows up with the story later. He says when you go to a party or you go to a banquet, don't sit up front at the place of honor because if somebody more important comes in, they'll move you to the back and it's embarrassing. So be humble and let them move you to the better place. Guys, we're supposed to live with humility. I spoke at a banquet. I was a keynote at a banquet in Grand Rapids, Michigan a few years ago. And when we walked in, we were sitting in the back, and they were like, no, 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 we've got a reserved table up front for you and your family and your friends. And so I went up there, and of course, my college roommate lives in the Grand Rapids area, and Kevin and Jody came in, and it was like, hey, guys, we got a, we got a table up front. So I moved to the family, and Meredith's mom and dad and her brother moved them all up to the front. Imagine if we had taken one of the very front tables, and the executive director, Miss Carolyn, walked up and went, hey, Rob, we love what you're doing tonight but this is for the big donors and for the board. You're back here. That would have been embarrassing. Jesus says, the lesson we can learn from Jesus, be humble. How about from the, uh, the parables of Jesus, like the parable of the talents, where a master is going out of town, he calls three of his servants together. One of them, he gives five talents. A talent is, amount of, is an amount of money. The next one he gives two, the last one he gives one. He goes away, comes back, calls his servants back and says, hey, what, what did you do with my money? 
And the one with five says, well, I, I put it to work and I invested it and I doubled your money for you. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. The second one, I gave you two. What did you do? He said, man, I doubled it. Here's four. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then he, the last one, he says, now what did you do? He says, man, I know you're a hard master and you, you grow where you don't plant and you invest where you don't, you know, you make money all over the place. And I was scared, so I buried your money in the back of the yard. And uh, so here you go. Here's your money. Let me get that dirt off the box. There you go. He says, you wicked and lazy and evil servant. And what do we learn from that? What are lessons that we can learn from Jesus? Work hard. Be wise. Take care of yourself. Show some, show some oomph in your life and get up and, and take care of things. Jesus loved people. Jesus absolutely loved people. He defended the helpless. He was a voice for the voiceless. He protected people that were being judged. Think about this one. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who died. And it, it's in the Bible where it says Jesus wept. Jesus wept when his friend died, even knowing that he was going to raise his friend from the dead. He still wept because he felt the pain. But what can we learn? We can learn that we're supposed to love deeply, even if it might hurt. Love deeply. Don't isolate yourself in life. Jesus interacted with sinners all the time. I love the fact that Jesus hung out with people that the church folks said you shouldn't hang out with. In fact, he hung out with them so much they actually accused him of being a drunkard. Now, the lesson that we can learn from that is we got to engage in the world and hang out with people who aren't believers, and they may have some stuff in their life that, that doesn't reflect what, what God wants us to live like. But you know, the difference was is that Jesus was a positive impact on them. They weren't a negative impact on Jesus. And so if you got people that are dragging you down, maybe for a little bit, you need to separate and not hang out with them as much until you can grow in your faith and then you re-engage with that person and you become a positive influence in their life. I love the absolute courage of Jesus. Jesus looked at church leaders in that day and said, you're a whitewashed tomb. You are dead on the inside, but you look good on the outside. Jesus had courage. He called out hypocrisy. He, uh, he just tore it up. He went after the hypocrisy and the spiritual pride in the church. Jesus displayed courage. And then the one that really blows my mind, Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. Last week when I, when I spoke on prayer and we talked about the, the last point was intercessory prayer. And I talked about praying for other people. I failed to mention we need to pray for people that are that thorn in our side. We need to pray for people that you're stuck with in life that you can't get away from, whether it's a coworker, it's an ex, whatever it is, pray for those people. Pray that God will soften their hearts. Pray that God will bless them. Jesus had courage. And Jesus can speak to us through his word. We have to be totally committed to reading the word. You know, you got things in your life that need to change and you're wondering what the will of God is. <laughs> Man, open your Bible. Don't tell me that God is silent if your Bible is closed because God will speak to you through his word. And then it says it's supposed to dwell in us richly. Okay, it means it should be well understood. We should know what the Bible says. It should infiltrate your being. It should affect the way you think, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you respond, your emotions. 
They just did a, uh, a study recently by the Center of Biblical Engagement. They just wanted to see how many people engaged with their Bibles. They interviewed 40,000 people between the ages of 8 and 80. And they found some information that they weren't looking for that kind of became the whole purpose of the study. But check this out. Um, if you are in your Bible one time a week, which includes me saying, hey, uh, we're in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 today. That includes that. There is a negligible effect on key areas of your life. If you're in your Bible twice a week, there is a negligible effect on key areas of your life. If you're in the Bible three times a week, there's like this little blip that certain key areas of your life begin to change. But if you're in your Bible four times a week, the change in your life goes off the charts four times a week. You ready for this? If you are in your Bible four times a week, your feelings of loneliness drop 30%. You feel lonely? Get in your Bible. Anger issues in your life? Drop 32%. Bitterness in relationships towards your spouse, towards your kids, towards a coworker drops 40% if you're in your Bible four times a week. Alcoholism drops 57% if you're in your Bible four times a week. Feelings of spiritual stagnation, 60% decrease. Men and women. People addicted to pornography drops 61% if you're in your Bible four times a week. See, but it won't happen if you don't study your Bible. You got to get in your word. Let it, dwell, let it dwell in us richly, abundantly, infused in every part of your body. Study the word. So Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. All that wisdom we just talked about from Christ, we're supposed to teach and admonish, each other, admonish one another in that wisdom. So the second thing we need to be totally committed to if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we need totally committed to creating accountability in our lives. First thing you need to do to have that, you need to be in a relationship with people. You can't have an accountability relationship if you don't have a relationship, right? So you've got to have those accountability relationships in your life. And that can start with community groups. We're getting ready to start community groups in February. And I know there's not like, thousands of us at this church yet. There's not even hundreds of us at this church yet. But guys, we can have four or five community groups. We need people to lead a group. Have people to your home once a week and talk and learn and share the word with each other. And we're going to do a, a system here where we're going to have the Sunday morning sermon and then we'll have questions about it. How can I apply this to my life? What does this really mean? Maybe we'll look at another verse that says something similar and you discuss it and you get to share your thoughts on it and you get to listen and learn to what other people think. And this was practiced by the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says that they went to the temple, and then they went to their homes to break bread. That's the process. We're starting community groups. Guys, we need you all to be involved, because that's where you share your life. You can tell your story to other people. You can tell the greatest events that have ever happened. You can tell what your favorite 80s rock ballad is. You can tell what, uh, I liked that one, by the way, um, Journey. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the song, but it's, uh, what's that? Faithfully. No, it's, it's the Journey song where it's, uh, he was born and raised in South Detroit, and 
my mind's gone blank on the name of the song. Can't stop the feeling. Thank you. Don't stop the feeling. There you go. Favorite 80s ballad song. Don't stop the feeling. What can I say? But, you know, see, that's the great part is because when you're in a community group, you can share your successes and your failures. There you go. You can share the problems you got in your life, the pain in your life, right? You can actually share the stuff that you're ashamed of in your past. Rick Warren said that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. And that's where our community groups can come in. So there is a thing a buddy of mine named Alan Algram showed me. I really wasn't going to show this, but I just wanted to draw on a board again. So I figured I'd share it. This is called the Pyramid of Authenticity. So it's a pyramid, and you break it into three sections. And in the bottom section, you write the word honesty. In our relationships in life, we're supposed to be honest with everybody. Honesty with all. The second spot is vulnerability. Vulnerability. Open your life up a little. Be vulnerable. Vulnerability with some. Not all. With some. And then the top spot is transparency. Ooh, transparency is where you give people information that they can use against you. You got to be very careful who you are transparent in your life with and share those things that, that could really be used against you. And you do that with few. You know, we see this in the life of Jesus. We see this model in the life of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was honest with everybody. He had thousands of people that he engaged with all the time. But he was vulnerable with 12. And then he was completely transparent with three. And the three heard things or that the nine didn't hear. The 12 heard things that everybody else didn't hear. Because Jesus did that. And the reality is we got to be careful on how we share our lives with people. It says that we're supposed to admonish and correct gently, which means we're supposed to go and disciple people. A disciple doesn't mean you just get somebody who says, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, you dunk them and it's over. That's not what it means. It means that you then begin to build that relationship and you go, hey man, let's get together for coffee. Let's get together and begin to talk and share life and really get deep and figure out areas in my life, in your life, and you have those accountability relationships and you begin to disciple people. Disciple means that, that you help somebody else learn the principles of the Bible. At the same time, you're modeling it and helping them become more righteous and look more like Christ. That's what discipleship is. You see, Paul had a Timothy. Paul was a mature believer, and he had a Timothy who was a young believer, and Paul poured into Timothy. Paul told Timothy how to live his life to glorify God. And Timothy, who is a young believer, had a Paul. So who's your Paul? If you're a young believer, who's your Paul? And if you're a Paul, you're a mature believer, who are your Timothys? You don't need one. You should have three or four guys. You pour your life into and you share with them and you help them grow. That's what we need, those discipleship things. Now, on the positive side of that study they did where, you know, you had the decrease in all of these things, if you're in your Bible four times a week, by the way, 
sharing your faith increases 200% if you are in your Bible four times a week. And discipling somebody increases 230% if you're in your Bible four times a week or more. I give myself one day off, which is Sunday, which I'm kind of in the Bible anyway. But uh, guys, get in your Bible. Let it richly dwell in you. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Y'all, they came together in worship. They came together in worship. And they sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They worshiped together. The third thing that we need to be totally committed to, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be five years from now, make the impact, is we need to be totally committed to being a contributing member in corporate worship. You see, music, he talks about music here. Music moves us in a way that nothing else does. I can give you facts all day long. That goes into one part of your brain. I can tell you stories which actually goes into a different part of your brain, but music, man, music moves your soul. There's a study I read not long ago. They say that Alzheimer's patients, actually music they memorized when they were young isn't affected by that. Music makes this imprint on your brain. And think about the responsibility that Rob has. I actually stood back there like this when he said, I want to be here as long as I'm alive. Because I'm telling you right now, the responsibility he has to lead us into corporate worship, that's a huge responsibility. To take us before the throne of God in worship, that's a huge responsibility. To make sure that the songs we sing uh, are supported scripturally and they're not, they're not doctrinally false teachings. And I tell you what, I can't imagine where we'd be without that guy. That dude, I'm telling you, I love you, man. Thank you. 20 years down the road. Right there. There it is. Um, now, now, there are three types of music they mention here. They talk about the Psalms, which are the Psalms of David. David wrote poems, basically, and put them to music. And they passed them down. And they sang those songs. I don't even know any of the Psalms of David to music. I don't know that they've been passed down this far now. Uh, then they says that they sang hymns. This wasn't amazing grace and how great thou art. A hymn means a poem set to music, which is what psalms were. It's a poem set to music, and it actually was practiced by the pagan religions. They would, they would write these poems to their false gods, and they would sing these. And the Christians looked at this and went, wait a minute, why are they singing songs to false god? We need to be singing these songs to Jehovah to the real God, the God, the creator God. So they wrote poems, they put them to songs, that's what hymns mean, and then spiritual songs, which are not carnal songs. Again, they're songs that you sing. You see, we actually do a little bit of all of those, because some of the songs we sing have some lines from David's psalms, and some of the songs we sing are occasionally a hymn. But the point of this was, Paul wasn't saying you have to do all three or one is more important than the other, because they all had the same purpose. They all brought us into worship corporately of God, and that's the purpose. That's why we do this, and we're supposed to be a contributing member, guys. We're not supposed to just show up on Sunday morning, say hi, get your coffee, sit down, 
and check your box and say, okay, I went to church. That's not what this is about. I went to church, I'm all good. No, 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 no. Attending church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. You can sleep in the garage all night long. You ain't going to be a car. You can come to church all you want. That doesn't mean you're a Christian just because you show up to church. This is about a relationship. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, there is no better place to be than coming to church. But that doesn't make you a Christian. It's about a relationship with Christ. And we come here, we grow together, we learn, we get to serve. Talking about raising those kids up and helping them out, we can serve in the kids' area. But being here is an act of worship. And then it says that we're supposed to do this with thankfulness in our hearts, right? Last week we talked about praying with thankfulness. We talked about always being thankful that we should have a heart of gratitude what, for what God has done for us. You know, they've actually done some research on the health benefits of having a thankful spirit, how it rewires your brain. It helps your body process serotonin so your digestion works better, you sleep better. It's amazing. Colossians 3.17, that's, that's it. We're finally to the second verse. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the fourth thing, that we see here in Colossians, that Paul tells us we need to be totally committed to if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be five years from now. We need to be totally committed to living our lives as an act of worship. You know, the way you live is worshiping something, right? It is worshiping something. It's how you prioritize your life is what you worship. And our lives are supposed to be changed because we have a relationship with Christ. And we live our lives through our worship to Him. Everything is worship. Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. The way you live is your act of worship. See, it's an action. You know, attending church and not responding with some action. That's like going to the gym and never working out. It doesn't make sense. We're supposed to have this impact our lives, and it changes the way that we live. And I'm not asking you to be a monk, by the way. I don't think that you should walk around all day long speaking in monotone and never looking to the left or the right and banging your head with a board. That's not what I'm saying. We still have to engage in the world. Jesus engaged with the world. But the way we live our lives is an act of worship, and we are supposed to be a positive impact everywhere we go. People should look at you and go, man, there's something different about you. There is something different about the way you live your life. I'd, I'd like to know more about that. And think about this. If it's every, everything you do in word and deed, right? Think about this. How does the music you listen to worship? or bring you closer to God in your worship. How about TV shows? You know, there are TV shows that glorify uh, sin and derogatory comments toward women and that kind of thing, and they are funny shows, but I, I can't watch them anymore because they have a negative impact on me in the way I live 
in my relationship with Christ. There's music that I can't listen to anymore. I love classic rock and roll, but there's some songs out there that glorify drug abuse, and well, half of them glorify drug abuse, and, and uh, you know, abuse towards women and that kind of thing. I can't, I just don't listen to those anymore. I choose not to do that because they don't bring me closer to Christ. How you spend your free time, the sports you watch, go Titans. Uh, how about this one, social media? Ooh. You realize that when you're on social media, that's an act of worship, how you behave on social media. And by the way, this transparency, it doesn't go on social media. <laughs> it does. And there's people on social media that I just can't, I can't follow stuff anymore. I can't. There are groups that I can't. I've had to get out of some groups because they're just so negative all the time. But everything we're supposed to do, we are supposed to do in the name of Christ. When I owned my flooring company, I would go in it sometimes at work, and I would just be so frustrated, and I would be putting down a hardwood floor. In Tennessee, by the way, they have, they have wood subfloors, so you actually nail the hardwood to the, to the, uh, the subfloor. But I'd be working, and I'd think, you know what? I could cut a little bit of a corner here or there. Nobody would know. It would still be within standard of, of what the industry says, but every time... I had this deal. If this was Jesus' house, how would I put this floor down? Because I was working as unto the Lord and not for the Smith family that hired me to do their job. I'm going to do it as if Jesus was here. It's going to be done with perfection. Even if it's within standard industry code, I'm going to do better than that because this is the house of the Lord. Think about this. Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And that's why when I owned that company, I did things differently, was those verses. They're also in Colossians chapter 3, by the way. It's just a few verses down. Do what you do as unto the Lord. Man, deliver mail for the Lord. Seriously. Mow lawns for the Lord. Run a med center for the Lord. Operate a bank for the Lord. What you do, you do for the Lord. It's not for the money. The money's a great benefit, by the way. And then it says, give thanks to God the Father through him. You know, this is the second time in this area he said to be thankful. We've already talked about all the importance of being thankful, but we're supposed to be thankful to Christ because when we bring glory to Christ, it gives glory to the Father because the Father gives glory to the Son, the Son gives glory to the Father. It says, be, be thankful to Christ or through Christ to the Father for the life that he gave us, the work that he has done, the strength that he gives us, the very breath that we breathe. Live a life of thanks. You see, we are supposed to grow in our relationship with Christ. We are supposed to grow and become mature believers. Just like we talked about with the little infants with Quinn growing up one day. That's what we are supposed to do. And it's a slow process, by the way. This doesn't happen overnight. I mean, just like any other relationship, the first time I ever looked at Meredith, first words I ever said to my wife, by the way, nope, just lucky, and I walked away. How this woman married me, I don't know. But the very first words I ever said, and you'll hear more about that. We're going to do a series on relationships in, in a few weeks. Uh, yeah, first words I ever said to Meredith, nope. Just lucky and kept going. She said, man, you're good. I was playing the piano. Man, you're good. Nope, just lucky. Kept walking. It's an embarrassing story. But 
think about from that point up to where we are today, I can tell when my wife's having a bad day. I can feel the emotion that she has. I, can, I know what Meredith is thinking even if she doesn't share with me what's going on in her life. It takes a long time to get to that point. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't just go from, from milk to meat as a baby overnight. But I know that if you are a believer and you're walking with Christ, we all can say this. We can say, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. Our lives are changing. We are growing. God is doing a good work in you, and you are growing in your faith. Now, here's the great part. Just like we, just like a baby grows, just like we are supposed to grow individually, this church is supposed to grow as well. You see, there's not a ton of us here right now, but we're not a little church. We're a young church, and we're going to grow. And when we grow, I'll be honest, I'm going to miss some of the things around here. I'm going to miss being able to call people out because I know everybody here. I'm going to miss the fact that I can't shake everybody's hand when they walk in the door and acknowledge them, and I'm going to miss that. I will. This is a special time where we have this community right now where we know everybody, but that's probably going to change. In fact, it must change. And you know why? We are totally committed to, the, to what God has called us to do because heaven and hell are real. And there are people in this community who are lost and they are hurting. And they need to hear about Jesus. We have families that are falling apart where husband and wife are just at it and kids are going nuts. And man, we got people, we got families that are drowning in debt. We got people who are absolutely overwhelmed and, and engulfed in loneliness. People who are trying to figure out life and they don't know why they're here and they have this never-ending pursuit to find acceptance in the world. We got people in this community who, man, they just, they want, they want so much to know why they're here and feel like there's a purpose in their life. And what happens is they go home at night after they go out and promote themselves all day long and they try to make everything great and they're still lonely. And so they spend more money or they go to the bottle and they drink and get drunk and alcoholism, any, all numbers of addictive behaviors because they're still hopeless. Y'all, we have to grow. We have to grow. We are totally committed to spiritual growth, personal spiritual growth, because Jesus is real. Heaven and hell are real, and Jesus is the hope. Jesus is their hope. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you are a Paul, a mature believer that needs a Timothy. I don't know if you're a Timothy that needs a Paul. Y'all got to figure that out. You, you may be an infant that you really need people to come around you and help you have those safe boundaries so that you can begin to grow even into a Timothy that needs Paul. And you got to be careful where you are. We got, probably got some Pauls in here that think they're Timothys. We probably got some Timothys that think they're Pauls. 
But y'all, we've got to invest in each other. We've got to commit to this personal spiritual growth so that we can impact this community for Christ because heaven and hell are real and Jesus is the answer. And you may be sitting there today and you may be go, you know what, I'm not really sure what they're talking about. I've never really had a personal relationship with Christ. Well, guess what? Today you heard the word. Now you need to believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he loves you and he died for you and he wants a relationship with you. Repent of your sin. Fall at the feet of Jesus. Accept the gift that he's giving you. Confess that he is the Lord of your life and follow through with baptism. Y'all, we've got to commit. Be totally committed to this because heaven and hell are real. People are hurting and drowning in this world, and Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this body. Thank you for your son. Lord, thank you for the vision that you have given us. Thank you for this community. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would just put it in us. Be devoted to your word that we would read your word and study your word and meditate on your word, that it would just, just dwell richly within us and would just overflow out of us like that cup being poured over. Lord, use us in this community to bring glory to you, to show people your love, people who are lost and hurting, who are drowning in debt, who are lonely and hopeless. Lord, that they could find hope and healing, and purpose from you. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, that you would send us with a mission to live lives that glorify you, that we would live every second for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Restoration Christian Church's podcast. If you need to talk with us about your faith, email info at restorationcape.com. If you want to learn more about restoration or support this ministry, go to www.restorationcape.com. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next week.